have to define what is the outcome you want your team to drive. You cannot ask them to do everything. You can't just say, we're going to grow revenue 25%, go figure. No, leaders have to do the hard job to say how we are going to grow this 25% of revenue. And out of all the possibilities, which one are going to you know, likely make sure, what kind of reason you have to do the hard work to decide, right? That's the strategy. You define strategy, which tied to the outcome. Then your team can say how I'm going to execute the strategy, make sure I would work on this like new market launch or drive adoption, right? So it's a strategy plus outcome, not just go figure. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Becky Flint, founder and CEO of Dragon Boat, a roadmap and product portfolio platform for outcome-focused teams. Now, prior to starting Dragon Boat, she built and scaled product portfolio management from the ground up at companies like PayPal, BigCommerce, Shutterfly. In fact, Becky is an expert in outcome-focused product practice, portfolio management, and product operations, where she has a successful track record of scaling businesses, building products customers love, and accelerating these business outcomes. I'm delighted to have her on this show to dive deep into this topic, but also hear her interesting story about where she started and how she arrived to be an entrepreneurial CEO today. So let's get started. When I met you at the conference, and that was the first time I heard of Unlearn, and I was like, that's a very interesting concept. Let me just look it up. And I realized, oh my gosh, my whole life is about learning and unlearning. Because I came to US, I was already 26. I came here for school, and I had a medical background, and I came here for business. Imagine you have to unlearn all that stuff to go into this <laughs> award, right? And then when I was in school learning my MBA and finance and the tech boom happened, it's a dot com and, and all, everyone's on the internet. And next thing you know, I was in San Francisco. So obviously I had to join a startup and then start getting a tech work. That's how the whole story started. So you went from a medical background to a whole new country and from an education now, in finance to tech, that's a tremendous amount of money. And then sort of the, my pivotal moment, so the biggest the change that really leading to I start Dragon Mode today was really my days at PayPal. I joined PayPal from a, a very big company previously was at Wells Fargo. It's a large company, financial institution, and then working on product. It makes sense, all the product things I learned, right? So about the customer, the journey, the user feedback, the improvement of working our team, everything makes sense. And I went to PayPal. Similarly, we did a you know, global expansion from one country to the other country. Great. I was like, okay, I got this. You know, I'm going to grow my career. And next thing you know, PayPal grow from a product manager spinning to one room to, you know, into multiple buildings. And we can make product decisions. So we're literally yeah. going through so this is Australia, this is Brazil, there's credit, there's all these teams who are all having a business case to build their product. Whatever prioritization we do just doesn't work. How do I prioritize, you know, sort of Brazil versus credit? They're, they have a different trajectory strategically yeah. versus a financial interest. We just completely stalled. And that's really the moment of a painful and also learning that what do I do? And that's, 
One part of it you mentioned about learning and unlearning is to say, how do we figure out the new situation? How do we look at data? When we look at the data, we realize, okay, our company plan, it was perfect. Everything fit together. But when you're really looking at the delivery, you realize like 80% of the work all happened in one and a half quarter because that's the time when everyone's ready to develop. So your plan definitely didn't work. So we have to build a new way. So I took my understanding of sort of the product management, big into some of my finance learning about portfolio management and financial yeah. analysis, really build sort of the skeleton of a portfolio management at PayPal and iterate a few times. And then finally, it kind of came into play with the portfolio management, working at PayPal. And then a bunch of other companies later, I realized, hey, this problem is everywhere. And we need a way to solve it. And then they need to be solved differently than the traditional way. So ultimately, that's, that led to the start of the Dragon Book. Yeah, it's such a fascinating story. I really enjoy when we have entrepreneurs like yourself on because it's never a straight line. It's never like woke up one day, I went to the perfect school, I went to the, the perfect college, and then I decided I was going to change the world, right? People have very interesting and varied paths to get there. It's fascinating to hear like starting in medical and then going into finance and going into product management. And yet, where you're here today with Dragon Boat, which is a phenomenal portfolio management tool, you've literally taken the best bits of all those experiences and sort of culminated them into one thing, which is what you're doing today. It's so inspiring for people to hear that. So many people get stuck feeling, oh, I studied medicine or it's, it's such a long time in that industry. How could I change? They almost have a sunk cost fallacy about their education or their experience where they've invested it to date means that they can't go somewhere else. So I love hearing stories of people who have sort of taken those steps and followed their curiosity, uh, their intellectual pursuits, if you will, and brought them to where they are today just to help people in that situation. Because I know there's a lot of people in that situation. What were some of, some of the things that gave you confidence or bravery or willingness in a way to sort of step outside your comfort zone and go into completely different domains? What encouraged you to do that? Because I think people find that really hard. You're right. I would say that probably a couple of factors. I think the number one factor is confidence in yourself. A lot of times the people are unwilling to give up what they have today, what they have today to pursue because they have something, right? There's always saying, if I give up what I have, I go to the other place. What if I'm not successful? There's a lot of what if, right? So there's a confidence in self, sort of just like, if I can get here, and I go to another place, I can always get at least progress better than people starting from zero. I think having confidence, knowing that you have the skill sets to learn and you can pack what you already have and build on top of it, it doesn't make you start from zero compared to the others who get a head start than you in that space. Confidence in knowing you can learn, the confidence knowing that the things you have a lot of them actually are fungible, right? Can be carried over. And then the third part is instead of having fear, you have a hope. Having hope will give you a different perspective. That's number one, is the confidence. And the second part of that is to say the upside versus downside. So that's kind of related to confidence, but people also need to have some sort of self-assurance to say, 
before you jump in, I ask myself, right, if I change my job, set, what would be the worst case scenario? What I left, I was a VP in a startup a company or build their product in an organization for Amazon. It's on track to be unicorn and my stock's about to invest in a year. So that all these things I'm giving up to start Dragon Ball. And I have to ask myself, what's my downside? Okay, I'm going to lose. Let's, I'm going to give it two years, maybe three years. And that's my downside. Can I accept two, three years, no income? I work really, really hard. I think I can because I don't want to regret the time when, you know, my, on my deathbed to say, I wish I tried that. So I really look at the upside and downside. Yeah, no, like it's such a great way to think about it. Confidence, the intellectual interests, and what have I, where do I really want to be? It's a great question. Understanding as well that it takes time to build something new. That's sometimes a struggle for people too as well, is committing to one to two years of following this path to build something. Because it, it takes time to build startups. People just see headlines, five people get together and suddenly they're building this amazing product. And but it takes time. It does take time. So great advice. Let's talk a little bit then about this notion then of as you went on this path, so you did phenomenal portfolio management work in PayPal, you were starting to recognize and coordinate all these various different teams, looking at different measures of success for each domain, if you will, like geography sometimes or new product offerings sometimes. So uh, different successes, I suppose, at some point. As you started this journey then to say, right, that's it, I'm, I'm going to leave this VP role in a great startup that's going, going to the moon and I'm going to do this thing myself. What were some of the things you had to unlearn about portfolio management as you went through the process to start uh, creating Dragon Boat? Like what, what were some of the things you thought or the way it was going to go, but you actually had to unlearn them and, and take a different approach? When I start from job to job, it's definitely true. You have to unlearn a lot of stuff. Your success in previous company will not guarantee your success in this role, even if it's the same role. And then moving from a working for a company that has all the resources to working basically myself and one or two contracts. Yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah. Look, looking in the mirror. Who's going to fix that? Oh, look, it's me. <laughs> right? And I think that definitely would, one is to recognize that I will have to do things very, very differently. I have to measure my success in the short term and the slightly midterm very differently and knowing that I have to change a lot more frequently and then having myself accountable for because when I work in a bigger team, I have my team, I have my stakeholder, I have my partners. And then you know we can kind of bounce ideas. We can kind of figure out, okay, we're taking this too far. I can make a different kind of adjustment on where we are and how we adjust. When I started this company, that it's a very different scenario. I don't have a setup. I don't have a peer the way I can bounce ideas to. I don't have the resources. So really to say, what can I take the ingredient in spirit in the different roles and then bring into this new environment? So I can find Connie, for example. I find Connie. I look for someone like her so that I can bounce ideas with her. She's not my peer. And I started to work together. And then, you know, she became my advisor and she so that resources is similar. I can take something similar from previous role and set up to this new role. So then we can have somewhat the essence of success is still there, even though maybe in different form. Then I also have to figure out some of the essence of how I work in terms of longer time horizon and midterm sort of the success. I have to condense it 
but I still have the similar sort of the essence to say, I have to have my longer term goal in the startup goal world is like a quarter, right? My long-term goal is a quarter and my short-term goal is a week. So that helped me to take the success in essence from other role to this one, but adjust to this role now. Yeah, it's really interesting that you are sort of, the way I interpret when share that is that you're sort of taking the system that you're actually going to apply to building products and portfolios and really applying it to yourself, where you are thinking in terms of time frames and goals that you need to achieve over different time horizons. You're building up feedback mechanisms around you to help you understand are you on that path, both personally by having advisors like Connie, who we both know is fabulous and had worked at Atlassian, and then also just measuring yourself as you move along. So it's really interesting, I find, when you apply these systems at so many levels, at a personal level, at a professional level, at the product level, to help you, are you going in the right direction and steer and guide you? I think that's really, really important because when you're doing something new for the first time, when you're doing it on your own in some respects and building it from the ground up, you need a lot of help, right? You need a lot of guiding rails around you, both your process to understand that you're moving in the direction you want people to ask questions to. How do I do this? Does this make sense? The back and forth that you described that you're used to having when you're in a team context, but in a startup, you're building the team as you go along. So you have to create those mechanisms. What were some of the surprises for you then? Dragon Boat is a phenomenal product. It's actually very different from many of the other products in the market. You focus very much on the ability to track outcomes and measure progress towards them, where a lot of the industry still measures things like time, budget, and scope, and activity. So talk us a little bit about how you saw that aha moment to say, actually, the way we're measuring and modeling portfolios is less than optimal. There's a better way to do it. A lot of this came from both your finance and your product background. So talk us through some of the unlearning that happened for you personally to start to bring that into the product. And that's really going back to how the whole challenge I was facing at the PayPal and then really bring back together. And I was very lucky to have the opportunity both to work with the business team, right? the business team, the finance team. And then what we're looking at is the P&Ls, where are we going to invest in certain area? What's your, what's your internal rate of return and you know that present value and all that stuff. So I had a concept as a business of where we wanted to go. And we have a sort of strategic focus. So we had different scores. I was in the room, so to speak, understand that side of things. And then there's a sort of a translation layer in the middle somehow between the product VPs, the product executives, the product managers. So by the time we hit the product manager, it's already became sort of a list of features and initiatives you want to do. And then when you prioritize it there, because there's a lack of a connection directly, then that kind of prioritization is very different based on the resourcing, based on like P1, P2. You know, when you try to put these two things together, you say, like, well, it doesn't make sense because the P1, P2 resourcing, obviously is important because the resourcing determines what you can invest. But then there's no connection between the two. So that's why, I, you know, when I start looking at data, one of the key things is about learning and unlearning is so you always look at the data. When something doesn't make sense, go look at the data. You look at the data, you realize, oh, okay, that's what I remember. Because all the things that we did this had nothing to do with all the decision we had there. And the decision is in people's head or something. That really helped us to connect 
you know, helped me to connect, connect us to say, you know what, we need to tie business outcome and the product initiative and the resourcing together just so that you can actually say, here's how decision made. And as we change our business goal or business strategy, and that would translate how the initiatives and the resources need to be adjusted. And that's really the moment I started saying, all right, so we are already doing this, right? We're doing this sort of the business strategy. We're doing this as an allocation. And then we're also doing this as a resourcing. It, the missing piece is to put them together. They're not one-to-one mapping. There's a, a very funky kind of like, that's what we call it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So this middle engine is really the core of the product portfolio management. So putting this messy stuff together, then we come away for you to see. If you want to see from a business side, you can see sort of dynamic hierarchy in the dimension. If you want to see the sort of the resourcing side, you can see that and you can tie things together. So end of day is really connecting the dots of what we know, right? Connecting systems, having them to talk to each other. And that's really what led to the portfolio management in a new way, connect the business outcome to product strategy, to agile execution, as well as the resource availability. It's phenomenal what you've done, I have to say, because it's so hard. Even like a few hours ago before this podcast, I was on doing a session with some teams about them trying to figure out how they align their work to the strategy a company has set. It's a really a huge bank. And you could see that people were struggling because sometimes their corporate strategy just feels so far removed from their day-to-day work. And people trying to get the right level of, I will define a product strategy for the things that I know I can change. But the leader of the team wants them to think about at a higher level, like how can they affect where the business wants to go, not just the team that they're working on. It's really hard for people to sort of figure that level setting or find those boundaries because there's nothing to guide them. They're basically looking at a PowerPoint deck that says, we want to grow by 25%. We want to increase our product suite by 5%. All the very classic sort of business growth metrics. And yet you've got five or six product teams sitting there going, well, I, you know, I'm responsible for credit cards or I'm responsible for auto insurance and I'm responsible for, and they can't make these connections, right? They're sort of struggling. How do you help people make those connections? Because it, it's difficult. And yet I think you found a really interesting way of doing it. Sometimes they call it a translator. The other way you can call it is the output metric and the input metric. This is really the goals and strategy tied together. And you can go through different levels. What we found out is that when you say, Sometimes people say level one goal, level two goal, level three goal. It sounds very clean. It's not true because at each level, you change how the connection is made. So if you want to go cascade down, it doesn't work like that. You have to say, if our goal is to go, let's say, grow 25%, the typical business metric, then how do we grow that? Do we have a new country? Do we have a new product? Do we have a new offering? Do we have new packaging? That is the things keep changing because the output metric is almost never changing from a very business. Like you always grow revenue. You're always trying to drive retention so that it almost never changed. So the thing, middle thing changed, that one will be the ones go to the next level to say how this product drives each of the potential change, the input metric to that. And so that decision-making needs to happen earlier to say, that's the thing we had typical PayPal decision. A lot of other companies to say, we're going to go to a new country. Are we going to deepen up this country's offering? We're going to have a new product line across all countries. We're going to have a new product or, you know, just in this country. These are different strategies, right? Strategy need to be laid on top of each other, see how they contribute to overall goal. 
and what kind of resources you need. If you have a strategy, you have a way to do it, you don't have a resource, that doesn't mean anything. These two conversations need to happen together. It's not just a financing. How many engineer open headcount out there? Like too many, right? So you have to say what resources we have today, what resources we can acquire very quickly so that we can actually execute our strategy that actually can drive our business outcome. So that part is the level one of a responsive product portfolio planning. We call it metric over available resources. What kind of input metric you can affect from your product strategy? What resources you need? When we layer multiple on top of it, it will say, okay, the winner is there. So then you solve both the product strategy alignment as well as resource allocation problem at the level that needs to drive a business outcome. So then it will remove a lot of later churn at the team level. Because if you don't do portfolio level of alignment on how you do do things, and every team design their own strategy, like you mentioned, right, typically, and then they have dependencies, they have a bottleneck. So nobody can execute their strategy fully. And then you kind of get to the watered down results and so on. Yeah, no, and it's so funny, right? Like you could see that pattern even starting to emerge with the team I was with yesterday. They all have these sort of localized perspectives, all good intent, all people trying their best, but they're sort of like looking at the problem through a straw or a straw that they feel like they're in control of. So to make or move these like bigger, as you might call them, level one goals that the business has, they're all doing these micro little bits, but they don't join up together. And the biggest aha moment, actually, when we were doing the session was each of the teams just hearing what the other team was thinking they would do so they could recognize redundancies or overlap or similar ideas but slightly different perspectives on them. And yet you've sort of managed to create that perspective in a tool. It's really fascinating where here you talk about aligning on a strategy that people can then figure out how they can contribute to it, whether it's to grow by 25%, to pick a new market, to go deeper in that market, to bring a new product, to extend the product offering across different geos. These are all great choices that companies need to make to grow and making those choices visible to everyone before they decide how they can contribute to them is fascinating. It also reminds me what you're describing. It was really a fun thing when we were building Agile Craft. There was one thing that people always were trying to understand. Why am I doing this? Why is my piece of work? How is it connected to something bigger? And we actually had a why button in the app that you would press. And if you pressed it, it would sort of bring up the level one metric that you described. But I think you've even solved that in a nicer way in in your product. So can you share a little bit about how you've created this connectivity? So as people are working on their initiatives, that they stay aligned and they can start to see progress, both against business metrics, against resource pooling. I think you've done it really well. So can you share a little bit about how you brought some of that into your, your product and the insights that helped you do it? So... What you said is so true about the why. And as the company gets bigger, it's really hard for engineers or individual team members to know why, because by the time things come to them, they already only have a slice, right? We used to use the example of sort of the blind man's and elephant and knowing how they can only, quote unquote, see, right? No part of the, <laughs> the elephant. It's very similar to the straw example you're referring to. So the way... We build a dragon boat, really taking into some of the operational art, like the practitioners 
sort of the mode, right? So being somewhat in the trenches is solving this problem for almost 20 years now for companies at different sizes, we realize in a normal scenario, this connection are done by human. You have product manager, then you have a director. So you have program managers, you have a people. These people are the ones that are connecting really right. through their brute force work. We used to write PPPs, which by the way, I think is a good mechanism to say, what is your progress? What's your problem? What's your plan? Just keep everyone online. Imagine if you have a company, 10,000 people, everyone write PPP, that's useless information. So there are always the people who take the PPPs to consolidate, take things meaningful and then roll up and then take things meaningful and roll up, right? So we end up having to write weekly PPPs on Wednesday so that it goes to Thursday and so on. So the tool is really mimicking somewhat in a way that you do have information at a various level. When you need to see it, it goes down to, you know, you can go to the level you need to see and then you can see the chain of sort of the decision-making because the decision did come, a, let's say, top-down from a longer-term horizon in terms of goals and strategy. And then you go to initiative. So as your plan and prioritize, that already bake into the process. Now, the unique part about Dragon Boat is that we give you different dimensions. Some of the dimension is about team, right? So one of the team under a bigger team, under a bigger team, I do want to know what my team is working on. A different dimension could be by goals or business outcomes. It could be multiple teams tied to the goals and outcome. And the other one is looking at an initiative or strategic events that cross different horizons and, and all that stuff. So the structure we build is very unique to be able to have that different multiple dimension and a dynamic hierarchy for anyone to slice the pie, if you will, or slice the portfolio to see how you're going because it carries through how the the planning and alignment was done in the first place. Therefore, you can always easily trace back how they come together. It's fantastic the way you've done it. Tell me then, thinking about some insights about the industry, one of probably the biggest debates at the moment is this notion of becoming more outcome focused. People will say outcomes over outputs, which again, sounds, it rolls off the tongue fantastic, but it's actually very, very difficult to do. And it's a, a huge change in the way most people are managing their work, right? Most people are focused on very output-based measures of success, being on time, being on budget, measuring have they completed all their activities or features, which are absolutely important things that teams should look at when they're, they're building products and services. But they're not the only thing that they should look at. Tying back to these outcome-based business goals or changes in customer behavior that they're actually trying to drive. Tell us a little bit about what you've seen as a product that is probably one of the leading products around being more outcome focused. How did you identify that opportunity and what have been some of the, the sort of growing pains helping people shift their mindset and behavior, if you will, unlearn so much of what they've been told about measuring activity and sort of start to measure outcomes? It's definitely something tied to in the learn and unlearn, right? Measuring activity is something you feel comfortable. You are in control. I wrote whatever story. I did what feature. It's something you are in control. What you are not in control is the product manager said, would it affect the business outcome? Would it affect customer outcome? It is a very, very different feeling. And we, it's very uncomfortable. A lot of times the people don't want people don't want to do it. Yeah, I'd much rather I totally agree. Execute. 
but the industry moving towards that direction. And think about every quote-unquote mature function, right? If you're in sales, you, you measure it based on your revenue. If you are marketing, you measure it on also outcomes, right? The leads you're getting or otherwise. So in customer success, the same thing, you said retention, every role becomes outcome-focused because nobody can micromanaging knowledge work anymore. The way well, output focus really came from the industry era, right? So industry era went into technology in the IT era. So sort of like a transition phase to say executive has all the information. They make all the calls and the millions, the team just do what they were told. And then quickly realize, well, executives don't know everything. They don't have the latest information. Plus, they cannot really micromanaging the team. You have to rely on team because that's how you can stay competitive. So we switch to that way. If you have to rely on team, how do you know your team is doing a good job? How do you make them successful? You have to give them ability to measure their success. So when this pandemic happened, and I was just laughing because there are companies having those monitoring tools to understanding how often you click a screen. Do you really care? Does it really make a difference? And one of the key things I really learned, I really credit a lot to PayPal. It's an incredible company operating in such a complex environment, a super thin margin and a competitive. And it became so successful. You know, the first FinTech before even FinTech was there it was because it's very ruthlessly focused on the outcome since day one. The metrics was like, okay, what is the conversion for the checkout team? So they want to make sure the conversion of the checkout team, a product manager is a measure right there. What is the fraud rate for the risk team? So they want to know what's the fraud rate, right? So again, measure on the outcome. What is the funding mix? Is the transaction cost? So all these things are measured by outcome. So trained everyone, product managers and business and not just like a business team own the outcome and product team does not. Product team is a part of it. So that the whole sort of the learning that I brought really into all the other companies to say product manager as a mature role drives outcome. Product doesn't exist until it drives outcome. And that is something that we have to help our team to learn. And it's hard for managers, for leaders, because you have to define what is the outcome you want your team to drive. You cannot ask them to do everything. You can't just say, we're going to grow revenue 25%, go figure. No, leaders have to do the hard job to say how we are going to grow this 25% of revenue. And out of all the possibilities, which one are going to you know, likely make sure what kind of reason you have to do the hard work to decide, right? That's the strategy. You define strategy, which tied to the outcome. Then your team can say how I'm going to execute the strategy, make sure I would work on this like new market launch or drive adoption, right? So it's a strategy plus outcome, not just go figure. It's so good. And again, you're just reminding me of the session I did yesterday. The challenge they have is not that they don't have a strategy. Well, in many ways, they don't because they're just doing everything. It's like, should we open a new market? Yeah, yeah, do that. Should we go deeper on the product? Yeah, do that too. Should we create a new product suite? In and yeah, yeah, do that as well. So they're given any option, which is really no option in a way. It's really great to hear you talk about leadership in terms of like making choices. We will choose to open a new geography and not extend the product suite. Or we will choose to build a new product and launch it in a new market and not do something else. Tying that to an outcome and a choice of how you manage to do it, I think is so important. And yet people fear that choice. 
they fear the missing out or what if we do something and we're wrong? And yet, I think one of the power of outcomes is, and you talked about this earlier as well, time horizons, both for growing your own business and as companies, is like if you set those checkpoints to say, well, we, we want to grow by 25%. Our strategy is to open in a new market. And if we aren't seeing a 5% traction in the first two months, then let's say that this is not working. Or if it is, great, let's double down on it. So you can still make choices and go after things and have clarity for people if you set up good systems to measure the choices you make. And again, I think that goes back to this notion of what you've already built into Dragon Boat is ways to measure and model the choices you make and see how they're performing based on outcomes. And I think people really struggle to make those choices because it's hard to say we're going to do this and not that. And nobody, everyone's always, the FOMO kicks in of, what if I'm wrong? What if this is the wrong choice? And yet, when you just measure output, people will just execute for two years and you'll find out if you can measure outcomes, you can execute and learn quicker. So tell us a little bit more about how that has helped you and what some of the results you're seeing from people who take that approach with your product. Obviously, it's a decision we make every day, especially as a startup companies. You can do everything. Yeah. You cannot do everything for sure. You have a limited time horizon. You have limited resources. What do you do? The hard choice needs to come in. And every time we make a choice, we have to decide the upside and the limiting factor, which is time and the resources. You have to put them together to say, what resources I have, right? Capacity, engineering, or whatnot. What kind of things that we can drive? So then you can try to fit into the time horizon, the goals, and also your available resources to say, what is the model we have right now, right? What is our scenario? We can model a few different scenarios and say, this is the one we're going to commit to it. Not making a decision means you already fail. You definitely don't have a resource to do all of them. If you want to do all of them and you don't have all the resources, that means everything takes forever. You don't get any outcome. And that's definitely for us. And it's already kind of second nature to me to be able to do that. In terms of our customers, we have seen, broadly speaking, two types of sort of maturity practice level. There are some of the customers who are experts. They know the best practice of portfolio management. They know they have to make choices but they don't have a tool for them to do that. It's a very time-consuming. They have to build this very elaborate spreadsheets and but do a bunch of stuff and they're easily broken. So Dragon Ball is like, oh my gosh, this is just saved my life. I can do all that. I can see it. And they can do it very quickly and still be able to save. We call it a yield, right? 30, 40% more yield with existing resources because you can't actually lay out your portfolio in front of you. And it will say, okay, there's no blockage because the blockage is a big waste. If I'm waiting for someone, regardless of the engineering team or, or, or marketing or others, that is not driving value. The work could wait. Something else could take that space. The opportunity is the biggest part of the portfolio. So these kind of customers are great to see and get a lot of feedback from them to optimize and improve our product. There's also another much, much bigger group of customers. They want to be outcome focused. They want to be right. able to achieve. They don't know how. So this is something I'm super excited talking to you, Barry, and a lot of the industry leaders and the Melissa Perry, and also our outcome focus, the product community is to help them to think in a way outcome focused, to think in a way that's portfolio, not just product management. Sure, product management is essential. It's a part of the picture. 
but it's not a full picture. Yeah. Meaning you have to take where you want to go and look at across your portfolio, challenging, conflicting goals and the competing opportunities and competing strategies. How do we best put them together and put a time frame in place so then we can adjust as we learn more. We should always have a portfolio. You can say, you know, 60 to 70% of investing something already working, right? The sure bet, so to speak. And 20, 30% of something that's new. Another 10% is something like innovation, a potential high waste, because you just have to find next thing, right? So when you start in that realm, and then you can practice that way, your company can move forward much more effectively. It's not about speed, right? Speed, you can go around in circles, very high speed. It doesn't get you anywhere. The direction is the goal that will lead you to and the outcome focus is how you can actually achieve speed if you know where you're going. So true. It's fantastic what you're doing. We're trying to build this outcome-based community as well. I think it's fascinating. I think it's needed. It's also because it's so hard for people to make that transition. We're so programmed in a way to just measuring output because it's easy to measure. It's easy to show up in your meetings and say, we've built these five features. We finished the project on time. We're under budget with our burn rate of our team. Again, all helpful execution insights, but it doesn't tell you if you're achieving the outcomes that you want. If I'm on time and budget on scope and nobody uses my product, that is a waste of time. So what we should be asking earlier is, who's using our product? And are they using it at the rate and in the areas and the demographics that we're hoping, whatever it might be, really trying to target these questions. The other thing that really stands out as well, I think the Dragon Boat's great at, is just giving visibility. Because I think when people see what's going on, 99% of the time, they make the right decision. The problem is they can't see what's going on or the cost and the overhead of communication and the mechanism of doing it is so high. You were joking about these PPP reports. So in nobody's studios at the moment, right? We have a portfolio, we have 11 companies in production. And every week, the teams are sort of share what they're working on. And even with 11 teams, that is a huge amount of work for the, to each team to communicate what they're doing. And then to like roll it up into like a portfolio perspective about all the things that are going on. And then we have the question of resources and who's working on what and where they are. You could literally spend the entire week just synthesizing that information. And then people are so busy, they have probably no time to even read it anyway or get something meaningful from it. So it's, it's really interesting to hear as you're talking about giving people this sort of on-demand access to the information. They can slice it relative to what a perspective is interesting to them to see. And we can... Let the tool do the work of managing and moving communication around rather than having to hire people specifically to do that, because that, that helps you scale. It's really fascinating just to hear you share some of these sort of anecdotes, because I think many people are feeling this now. Portfolios are hard to manage. Communication and keeping people aligned is hard to manage. Focusing on outcomes over output, very, very hard to manage. But yet you have sort of created this great product for people to start to do that and the community to go with it. So tell us a tiny little bit about the community, because I know that's a real passion area for you. And how is that starting to come together? And what are you seeing as a result of doing that? It's interesting. What I noticed is in the earlier days at PayPal, 
we didn't have a title for it. We called it product operations. I wouldn't call it product operations, but I realized today is like some of the things we were doing, like I was doing was the products, right? Really like launching new countries and then figure out a portfolio process and decision process. So when I went to from company to company, I realized, well, first of all, people never heard what it is and then they don't know you have the strategic planning side of things and execution. So I started to have people come in. I personally grew a lot through mentorship and I was very lucky to have mentors in my career to learn how to grow into a leader. And then I started to take mentor to people in different roles and functions. And I say, okay, that's not scalable to a certain point. So then I really started to, you know, see, see having a community to having more scalable mentor, sort of, so to speak, and have others like, like you, like Melissa, can come in also to share with others, because I think that every company is product company. It's right. no longer R&D anymore. And the product is the center of a business. It's not in this corner. So what we really want to build is to think about product as running a business. That's why we have the outcome-focused product community where we have a chief product officer or the product leadership, sort of the track community. We have another part of the product operations. So obviously, you have to tie strategy and the operation together. And then we have sort of the responsive product portfolio management training so that you can learn sort of the essence of that. And also we have in the upcoming is for, you know, sort of the experts, the experts like you and a lot of others can come into our community as well to, you know, get exposure to really learn. If I want to talk to someone, if I want to hear other people's thoughts, that's one place. It's quote unquote vetted. We want to make sure that we get a right quality resource and the content because we're in it together. So true, right? No one person can figure this out on their own. It is a journey, as you say, and having a space where you can come and share your experiences with one another, what worked for you, what's different about your own business, things that you've tried. I always find that that's the most valuable part of these communities, especially when you're breaking new ground on a way of working, which being outcome focused is. We're still learning how to do that as an industry. We are on learning the industrial age, as you sort of alluded to before, and how to encourage knowledge workers to be able to make choices, how to encourage managers to actually trust the team to make decisions and get better at setting direction rather than telling them what to do. There's a lot of stuff to unwind there. And it's really fascinating to see how you're not only building it into your product, but building a community around to do it. So thank you for doing that. So then really my last question is for you, like, as you look forward, what are you most excited about? What are some of the new trends that you're starting to see as you've been doing this work for a period of time? What are some of the surprises that are ahead or the things that are exciting you most? What I'm most excited to see really is the trend moving from the output-focused command and control to the outcome-focused, the empowerment. I really believe where you need alignment to be able to empower your team. So alignment and autonomy need to come in together. So that's not either too much control or just a madness of non-controlled chaos. Controlled chaos is okay. Non-controlled chaos, it's not good. So having that two things emerging and that people understand that today's award is creating amazing product by amazing people. Amazing people need to work together in a way that we understand we have visibility. Visibility is not just for reporting purpose. Visibility is the only way to give us enough information to make informed the right decision at any level, at executive level, at the team level. You know what the other team is working on. Executive can drill down to problem, right? You can truly manage by exception. 
it's not like walking the floor anymore in the factory, but you can quote unquote walking the floor of your product portfolio, know the performance of the business metric, knowing the initiative your team working on, and see the signals of things going red and green. So to me, most exciting thing is to see the industry moving to the way where we reduce the amount of manual work and then we increase visibility and increase trust and increase the empowerment of the team. And that's not just you can do a better job. You have better mental health. You can yeah. achieve a lot more, right? Not being micromanagement. The only micromanagement reason is because of lack of a trust, lack of trust because they don't see. Yeah, so true. You're making a huge contribution to the community by building this product and uh, taking it to market. It's fantastic. I'd highly recommend people check out dragonboat.io. Follow Becky on LinkedIn, Twitter, and all the various different platforms. Thank you very much, Becky, for coming on the show and sharing both your insights about what inspired you to change from starting off in medicine to finance to now being a great product leader, building these businesses and entrepreneur. Thank you very much for, again, sharing your story and a lot of encouragement, I think, for people out there. Thank you so much, Barry, for having me. It's great to learn and unlearn. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>